Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a horror anthology podcast by Superversive Radio, with no affiliation with any detective agency, person real or imagined, or the dark forces of Terre. It is not intended for children. This is Jim Donovan. I guess it's my time to give a mission report. I gotta hand it to Jack. I had no idea what was happening with him sinking into the floor, but he recovered quick. When Sean and I were done, he got a weird look in his eye and guided us to possibly the best barbecue joint I've ever been to. Not that the West Coast is known for barbecue. What was remarkable was that Jack found it entirely by smell. I'm not going to think about it. So, a little explanation. When Jack found the group picture, I could immediately tell that this was something I could use the Verinvisio to track control down with. The only problem was I didn't want to do it next to a building that was almost certainly swimming in paranatural energies. You know, the negative stuff that when you look into it, scars your mind permanently. So we got to a safe distance, far away from any graveyards, mob shootouts, memorials, political offices, and, well, just about anything that would absolutely destroy my mind. In other words, we left Chicago entirely. I opened myself up to the Vermvisio, deeper than usual, and for the first time, really saw Jack and Sean. Both of them were covered in wires and strings that pulled and twirled, even with the pressure of my gaze. Jack had a massive banded line running through him, like an eel, that stretched wetly out into the distance ahead of us. Sean was covered in vines and roses. Anyone or anything of the Otraterre, even if they didn't have the Verinvisio, would have known that something out there, bigger than they were, had called dibs on these two. I definitely did not want to imagine what strings or ropes or chains were looped around my future. Jack, in the Visio, was pretty much himself, only younger. Sometimes, when he became pensive, he turned into a little kid, in big boy boots and a big boy hat, trying his best to be a big old man, but having little to no real experience. Then he'd turn back and he'd be older again. Too old. Didn't matter what age he was, he always kept that same serious expression. At his feet, hands and claws reached up to clutch at his heels and ankles. The rest of him was soot and blood-stained. No wonder that Lamia said he stank. Sean remained mostly himself, if a little more annoyingly handsome, a little more joyous and smelling of the forest, cut grass and roses. He had a much more peaceful aura than Jack. I wasn't sure what to make of it. It burned a little. Around his neck was a locket that didn't so much glow as shine. Radiate. I wanted to know whose picture was in it, but I didn't want to ask. The rest of him? Eh, he looked like a dame had given him a good roughing up. I mean, friendly-wise. He reclined at the back, at ease despite the mission. He caught me looking at him and winked. Focus on the road, bright eyes. We've got to find control. His smile practically gleamed. I wanted to like the kid. Eh, kind of did by now. 
I shouldn't think about it. The Vermvisio reveals truths, but also exaggerates based on how I imagine a person to be. My own perspective, biased though it may be. The group picture had a lot of lines popping out of it, but most of the black led down. A few golden ones led up, and a silver one led to the illusion of the moon in the sky. You know, some days when there's the moon in the sky with the sun, well, sometimes it's not the actual moon, just a reflection of it. This line led straight to the reflection. I wanted to twang it like a guitar string, but I didn't want to kill Holt Lucari by accident, no matter his state. This would be something to research later. The last string on the picture led us forward for a long way. With some work, the three of us triangulated the location. I'd check up on it later. You guys thinking about what might be waiting for us? Sean asked. No, Jack replied. Ah, I was more helpful. Probably a Grand Mason kill squad. A trio of abominations tailor-made to kill us and control turned into a werewolf, vampire, Frankenstein's monster, in a raging fit set to murderize us. Okay, but that kill squad? Jack held up a hand. I get it. But we can't not investigate it. Leave the kill squad to me. Jim, you think you can smash up some monsters? Get that soul Jim thing going? Of course. I leaned back as if it was the easiest thing in the world. And that leaves Sean with the control monster. I'm sure he can talk her down. I once saw this terrible show where the guy hugged the girl as she turned into a monster. And I might prefer the kill squad. Oh, well, you see, Jack can't really give hugs on account of his ribs. But I suppose I can try the hugging the monster route. You know how to keep your own soul from being sucked into the soul gym during use? I don't think they go to a place of torment, but nothing I've sent down there has come back, so... There's gotta be... Sean, we're gonna have to face it, Jack said. We can only pray we can handle it. We were quiet for most of the trip. Jack somehow found another excellent barbecue place on the way for dinner. Sean and I made him get a side of Brussels sprouts. I don't think I've ever seen or heard a reference of him eating vegetables. The mountain we approached was... a mountain. It was named something like Albert Peak. From far away, which is the only way to see it other than going directly towards it, it looked exactly like a mountain. Even from the perspective of the Vermvisio. We had to get close before I could see just how much of a hot spot the whole damn thing was. Even the Wyoming basin around it was more active than the mountain. Lines, auras, and just noise spread out from it. It was like turning a corner and coming face to face with a riot you couldn't hear going in. I had to shut my eyes off. That place is active, I said. I can't tell where control is in there with all the... I waved my hand non-committedly. I had a headache. When we got closer, we could see the entrance, and something had torn it apart. There were cars laying upside down and on their sides. Dead bodies, half in, half out, or just missing half of themselves. There were fewer bodies than cars, but by the lack of blood, even around the halves, there was far less blood than there should have been. Something really did a number on this place, Sean said. His head was between me and Jack's. You guys are seeing this weirdness, right? This reminds me of something. One of old Tom's 
He couldn't remember it. Eventually, we stopped waiting for him. Jack idled the car for a bit, just outside the first of the wrecks. He turned off the Unismasher's engine. I ain't getting any closer in this thing. Come on. Jack led us out and to the back of the car. He had radios, courtesy of Sean, and a large number of weapons. Choose your fancy. Sean, Jack, and I picked up shotguns, handguns, and, in Jack's case, lighters. I had a fulgurite grenade, frost wraith essence, and some dragon's breath rounds left over. And Sean carefully buffed the ring on his finger. I didn't notice it then, but I can't see the ring on his hand when I'm in the Verambicio. It's like a band of nothingness around his finger. It's like materials that don't have any magnetic, heat, or radiation signatures. I don't really know what that is. I'm kind of curious. I refused Jack's 1887s and brimstone rounds. I like having stuff where my relatives were alive when they were invented. I think I offended him. The walk through the cars was... spooky. I know that in this line of work, that's not the statement of the year, but... just... some of these vehicles weren't on the market yet, or... Okay, I'm not a car guy, so I didn't recognize some of them. Some of these were so new, I could see the glue from the paper that dealerships stick on car windows. Others were old, but rich. Quite a few electric cars, a Porsche, some Teslas. There were bigwigs here. Had been here. Something Greek. Sean whispered to himself, but we still heard it over the radio. The entrance to the facility was strange. It was a set of doors that folded over each other, and then out to the desert around us, almost a part of the mountain. It was cold, because the Wyoming Basin is a cold desert, but we still sweated. Jack stood with his back to the wall, staring into the darkness. Sean was rubbing something in his pocket and praying. I cleared my throat. <clears throat> it occurs to me that we should do something. Maybe we should have done something back in Chicago, but I held out my hand. None of us are big joiners. We're each loners in our own way. But when we cross those doors, we can't turn back. We're pushing on until we find control. Sean nodded, but Jack had a weird reptilian look about him. Both of them put their hands over mine. I put mine over theirs for a sandwich. We were silent for a moment, heads bowed. I can't say I prayed well, but I saw Sean's lips move, and Jack's brow somehow became more furrowed. Rituals have power. With this, I bind us as paranormal Pinkertons. Jack, you're technically the most senior here. Do the honors. Control will be in our hands tonight, hell or high water. God willing, safe and sound. Before God, before men, and all the powers of the Otraterre, if control is dead, no power besides God's alone can keep us from avenging her. I waved our hands up and down, and we broke. It was a childish thing, but both Sean and Jack reacted well to it. Jack led us in, and we followed him in almost a professional manner. The foyer was bare, but there were places where guards could be posted. Even some broken-down drones lying on the floor. No bodies, not even any clothes. There were, of course, scratch marks, mostly leading towards the elevator. The elevator was out but the fire escape was open. 
we took that down. We spent a very long time in darkness. Things skittered in events around us, and the humming of power and engines I didn't recognize grew louder in the back of my head. Like a bassist going to town, but so low you couldn't hear the real notes. Occasionally, something crunched under our feet, and I prayed they were just bugs. Big bugs. Yeah. Nice, big, hissing cockroaches. Uh, at least the shadows weren't moving. The first floor was illuminated, brightly so. The lights worked, and in good order. Cubicles stretched out for a country mile, with lunchrooms and offices on either side. It was very late when we came in, but I could tell by the staleness of the coffee and the food, but the lack of mold on them, that it hadn't been more than 48 hours since, well, something happened here. The computers were, to a machine, locked, and none of the workers were conscientious enough to leave their passwords under the keyboard. We went down another flight. This was more interesting. A white corridor stretched out as far as we could see, with many branching paths leading God only knows where. Deeper in, we heard rumbling in the pipes. This place wasn't doing too well. I didn't want to get surprised by a self-destruct button. If this was the work of the Grand Masons, or Illuminati, or Bored Elves, or whatever, that seemed like exactly the kind of cheap trick they'd pull. There were surgical theaters, which stretched down, I guessed, a floor or two. One had the corpse of an elf on it. Not one of the Leonanshi. It wasn't beautiful enough, but an elf nonetheless. Thin cheekbones, pointy ears, you know the type. The last of them was backed by a forest of pipes and tubes that leaked red stuff. We decided that, instead of taking the stairs again, we'd travel down one of the surgical theaters. A cleaner one. When we hit the ground floor of the second-to-last theater, we heard a sound like rending metal. Then something came through the door to the other theaters. It was a mass of bones and flesh, like a hill, that reached out and pulled itself forward with a hundred hands, growing, snapping, being absorbed back in, and being remade every second. The thing moved fast. Jack snapped up and got a shot off on it. The phosphorus of the brimstone round burned like the sun on its skin. It didn't even flinch, though it clearly hated being burned. It grew heads and lungs just to scream. It beelined for Jack, and a pillar made of femurs burst from its core and smashed into Jack's chest. Hecaton Shire! Tom fought one in Washington, D.C. We need to strip its flesh. Sean shouted. He started firing his own shotgun into it. The monster reeled and turned to fight him. In a split second, I could see Jack's eyes roll up into the back of his head. He didn't even flinch. He just went straight into unconsciousness. He was down for the count. I pulled out the soul stone, and the monster stopped moving. I coaxed it into action. I had a few tricks. It rolled its flesh around, as if it had a head and shoulders, and stared at me. Or, more accurately, at my soul stone. I ran for it. Take care of Jack! There's got to be a medical wing somewhere. I waved the soul stone when I could, firing when I had an opening. The Hecaton shear 
didn't care about the charred flesh I was causing, and instead advanced, inch by inch, faster than I could imagine a hill of flesh should move. Any time I saw the flesh ripple underneath the torn skin and flapping muscles, I put a dragon's breath round into it. I reloaded when I could, leading the Hecaton shear away from Sean and Jack as much as I could. I went over what I knew. After the events of the Wild Hunt and Kronos' tomb, I boned up... <laughs> boned up. On uh, my Greek myths. The way I understand it is that Greek myth and gods and what have you were in some way true. Of course, that Artemis was a demon with a civilized appearance was lost in translation. Most of the monsters were a mix of something, except for the primordial, or titan, generations. These were the children of Gaia and Aronos, or some sort of chaos and literal dawn. But there wasn't much about them. The Hecaton Shear helped beat the titans. But they don't do much, they just guard Tartarus. Kind of ignored them. They were self-contradictory, even by Greek myth standards. It was fast, but I could keep ahead of it. We were in some sort of containment zone. Glass walls surrounded strange objects, books, statues, and... colors. I didn't look at anything too closely. There might be time for it later, God willing. I pulled out the fulgurite grenade and threw it into the mass of flesh. It cracked and sizzled, and the roiling mass of flesh and nightmares absorbed it. The hill turned from a mostly rounded mass that, well, I don't want to think about it too much, Bones shot out of it like bullets, smashing through glass walls, and, in at least one instance, releasing the strange things within. A statue disappeared the second the glass wall shattered. <sighs> I hoped it wasn't murderous. Tendrils whipped through the open spaces, trying to reach me, or just anything it could smash. The sound was indescribable. I ducked into an open door set into the wall. I still had the frost wraith essence, and I had the soul stone. I bent over it. And then I heard, Hey, kid! I turned and saw a head with lumps like an ill-formed potato and green as mossy earth that stared at me with a placid expression. Yeah, you! It was a head that was connected by tubes to blood and other clear liquids. What's going on out there? No one's been to see me today. Might as well chat with it. Didn't want to turn my back to it. A Hecaton Shear got free and killed everyone. We're... I thought about it for a second. I had seen some of the clothes out there. and We looked nothing like the office workers. We're unrelated. The head harumphed. Good. May their souls rot. Trap me here, in case you were going to ask. I can tell you got a philosopher's stone in your hand. You know how to suck stuff into it? I nodded. Ah, Hecaton Kire are a type of Nephilim, except that their forms eh, couldn't properly form in the womb. That's the basics, anyway. It's a half-human soul in a body that can't support it. It's got a core. If you can breach it out of layer, you could rip its self-made orphan soul out. You know, it's potent. The good stuff. Seasoned. I pulled out the frost wreath. This room was cold, and I could see canisters of liquid nitrogen. I pulled one out. 
Yeah, they use that stuff back when I had enough juice to regenerate my body, the head said, nonplussed. Say, you got a steak on you? I'll take a sirloin, but I've been really craving a fatty ribeye. It's a long shot, but you have a philosopher's stone. Maybe you got a mermaid's purse, or a dimensional rift with a hot meal inside? I dragged the nitrogen close to the door. I shoved one of my hands into a thick rubber glove. In the other, I carefully cradled the frost wraith essence. And the soul stone. It's called the soul stone, I said. I fed power into the frost wraith, just enough to make it really potent. Oh, is that what it's being called now? I bet some fancy-pants virgin wizard in his tower renamed it just to feel good about himself. You know, a real asshole. He was. The head paused, then laughed. Sure, kid. I like the cut of your jib. If we live through this, take me home. We'd have a great time. I can tell you're not really using the soul stone to its full potential. At least you're not trying to make it print gold or whatever. I've been around the block, and my prices are entirely culinary in nature. I ignored him and waited for the hecaton shear to get close. I don't know about prices, but I was willing to bet anything that culinary was a very flexible word. I could beat him, just as I was going to beat this monster. I threw the frost wraith. It landed in one of its monstrous, screaming, burning mouths, and the monster bit down. The frost wraith, juiced on soulstone charge, burst forth and froze everything around it. The whole front half of the monster turned to brittle ice. I ran forward, hoping my back wouldn't give out as I dragged the heavy liquid nitrogen. I held the pipes and opened it up on the monster's flesh as it tried to separate from its frozen half. Tendrils reached out and shattered, while the great mass of flesh became polka-dotted with white ice islands and a sea of red, bleeding flesh. I jammed the soul stone into its center, breaking through the brittle ice. I had formed, with the Verimvisio, fish hooks jutting from its surface. I swirled it around, barely staying in the Visio. I felt weight. I had caught its core. I pulled it out. It wriggled like an eel. But it couldn't escape. Instead, as it fought, it impaled itself on more and more tines. Soon, it became completely entangled, and I let it slowly feed into the stone. Easy. I laughed at myself. <laughs> Easy. Sure. I checked around. Nothing else was rampaging, even if a few more things had disappeared while I wasn't looking at them. The hill of flesh that made its body fell apart into a mass of bones, muscles, and other things no one should ever see outside a body. I joined the head. Golden O'Hidacy, at your service, he said, with all the pompousness of a fat British butler. I snorted. <clears throat> really? I'm allowed to name myself. The amount of solo head puns are slim pickings in English. It's better than Subject 294, whatever they called me. Circus freak show lovers to a man. Vegetarians, too, probably. Not to speak ill of the dead, mind you. Besides, we're both not playing with a full deck. We gotta feel each other up, kid. Well, you can feel. I gotta guess. I gotta know whether you're on the up and up. If you're the real McCoy. I examined his setup. 
All right, Gordon. Let's talk. I'd have to make an inventory. Figure out what to take from this place. Interviews with Gordon would prove to be profitable. Not just for me, but for the Pinkertons overall. <sighs> Still got a lot of cataloging to do. Yep, until next time, this is Jim Donovan, over and out. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a podcast distributed by Superversive Radio and licensed under an attribution, non-commercial, share-alike, international license. This episode was written and performed by Ken Dickison, who also performed the audio editing. Ben Wheeler edits, directs, produces, and herds cats. Visit us on Facebook, read articles on SuperversiveSF.com, and wherever podcasts are distributed, including on Authorized TV, you'll find us. Contact us through Twitter at Pinkerton's Ghosts. Support us on Patreon, or email us at PinkertonsGhosts at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>